We have uh, we've been in a, a series, and and actually we'll be in a in a series of series uh, going through Easter and beyond, where we are we are trying to talk about the culture that that we would like to be a part of this church, and this has been a two year process. A couple years ago, uh, we we had. We had started refining the vision that we started this church with, where we where we moved beyond. You know, it got us going, and we had it. We had a direction, but we wanted to begin to refine it. And through that, through those conversations earlier this year, we talked about our our we believe statements, and that's sort of our motto that we believe. And we connected some of the priorities of ministry that we have with that. That we believe that worship doesn't have to be boring. We believe that the uh, youth lead that children matter that we all need good friends, and we believe that we can change the world. And that sort of gave us our priorities in ministry. And, but w- what we're talking about now is, is more of our, our mission, our vision statement of, of when you, if you were to define the culture, who do we want to be? And as our leaders met together and as we, we talked about the kind of church we'd like to be, the kind of church, if we could just be any kind of church we wanted to be, when we looked at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels and how he ministered, we were led to, to this statement. We want to be a church that does anything and everything to share the love of God with anyone and everyone that we come in contact with. And so over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this anyone and everyone. That's where we are right now. We're talking about who is anyone and everyone. Who, who do we really want in this church? Anyone and everyone. And so we're, we're talking about who is anyone and everyone because you're good church people. And so you think that there are, it's always symbolic language, you know. So we're, we're trying to debunk that for you and explain anyone and everyone actually means anyone and everyone. Okay? And, and it's taking six weeks to do that and we'll, we'll hit it again. <laughs> Following that, we're going to talk about anything and everything, and that, ma- that matches up great with Lent. Because we're going to be, uh, when we look at what Jesus Christ did for us uh, in going to the cross, that journey to the cross on our behalf, that he was willing to do literally anything and everything to prove his love for us, we're going to connect that into how we as a church should be willing to make sacrifices on behalf of others. Then we'll follow that by uh, a series called Taking It to the Streets, where we remind ourselves that the best ministry at church doesn't happen within these walls. Uh, This is just a building. Uh, Ministry happens in our lives. It happens as we relate with one another. It happens as we share with one another, as we we, uh, give and and recognize need around us. So just want to give you a, a picture of where we're going. And what we've been talking about is this idea of anyone and everyone. Who do we really want in the church? Anyone and everyone. Why, why is that such a hard thing for church people to get? Why, why, in fact, I mean, our structures, our bureaucracies, our traditions, why are they so... Eric, can you pause uh, the, the mute on number two? Thank you. Uh, why, do we, why do we have such a hard time thinking that other people deserve to be where we are. Why, why, why is it so easy for us to sort of categorize ourselves? And it's because we, 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 don't, we don't like admitting how bad we are. You know, we, we don't like that. And so if we, can, if we can be better than someone else, then we like that. And I think this starts at an early age. I mean, we, as soon as we start getting into sports and all that kind of stuff, 
I used to be a PE teacher, so I'm, I'm, I was the guy that you, a lot of you hated in, 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 in school. And why do we hate Because, it, let's see how many of you can connect with this experience. About second grade, you go out for a PE class, and you're going to play kickball or the, the even more fun game for PE, dodgeball, where you get to, you know, take out your aggression on these poor little kids and plant them in the face with a rubber plastic ball and... But you go out and you're going you're gonna to play recess or you're going to play the game and you've got to divide into teams. And who, who gets to choose the teams? You know, it's, in second, it's, the, it's the kid in second grade who already has a mustache and <laughs> he's like going behind the building to have a cigarette before. It's, it's those kids. And they get, they, get to, they get to pick, and, and the rest of us line up against the fence. And, and they start choosing. And they start choosing. And, and what's the worst thing in second grade that can happen to you? To be last, right? Because you're not good enough. And that's embarrassing when it gets down to, you know, the girl that, that's in a wheelchair and on an asthma breather and you. And they take the girl in the wheelchair with the asthma breather rather than you. It's, it begins as, and, and we've had these experiences, and it doesn't end in second grade. Sometimes it's our parents that create that, that idea that, you know, no matter how hard we tried, even if we brought home pretty good grades, you know, you, you come home with seven B's and one A and are seven A's and one B, and they focus on the B instead of the A. We, we, we get categorized in reading groups in school. If you're in the high reading group, you're the low reading group. You're in the smart math. There's all these ways that we categorize ourselves. And we get to church, and you know what? We finally found a place where we could screw someone else. Where, number one, most people don't read their Bibles and don't know the church organization stuff very well. So if I can learn that, I can, I can be the leader. I can be the second grade bully with the cigarette and the mustache this time. And if you think about it, if you have much church experience at all, you can think of who that second grade bully with the mustache and the cigarette is in your church experience. They're in every church. They're in every church. They're in this one. I don't even have to tell you who they are because you know them. Because whenever, whenever something goes wrong, they make sure you know. I'm the second grade bully with the cigarette and the mustache. They, it's just the way church works. And if we're not careful, we can all fall into this mindset where we, we, we stop looking like a church and we start looking like a country club. Or a social group. We, we, we start losing the edge of what makes us special and we start falling into the trap of creating classes and a hierarchy. You know, I think a lot of us, as we, as we think about God and how we relate to God, a lot of us have not gotten good training on that, and so we're, we're worried about that. How is God judging me and everything? And, and one of our main prayers is, I'm hoping he, he grades on a curve. I, I'm, hoping, 
he's grading on a curve. Because if I can just hit high enough, you know, that, that there's 60% of the population that's a little worse than I am, then, then I'm, I'm in. And, and that's actually the, the theology a lot of you have been taught and stuff is that, that basically that's what church does for you. It puts you in that upper 60%. Because that's why you got up and came this morning. Because there is, there's at least 40% of the population who doesn't do this on Sunday mornings. And so if God has given out credit, you want to, you know, that's extra credit. And if, if you bought a burrito from a youth person... <laughs> You get extra, extra credit. I mean, you're taking your life in your hands. You don't know what they did with their hands this morning. <laughs> and they're wrapping tacos for you. You get some extra credit for that. that that's called a faith journey right there. But, <laughs> but we, we're just hoping that God's grading on a, on a curve. And, and, and when we think of it that way, we, we begin to think that maybe there's levels of God's love. And it's, it's what I talked about with the kids this morning. Do you think that's the way God does it? And the easy answer is, oh, no, God loves us all. But you know what? When we live out our lives, we, it, the way we live out our lives says, no, we believe that he judges us and compares us. And that's why we judge and compare each other because we're so afraid. We've just got to be able to be in that upper 60%. And when this starts to bleed into who we are as a church, it, it starts to turn off people from the outside. Because it, it's so easy for us to, those, those groups and those people, those individuals, those categories of people that, they're just easy to, to identify. And when we can point our fingers at them, as many in the Christian community have done, those are not welcome. We aren't having none of them in our group. If you're one of these, don't bother coming in the door. And is that the way God does it? Does He... Does he compare us? Is there a curve? How, how does this whole thing with God work? I've got some good news and some bad news that can be good news if you allow it to be good news. Okay, It might be bad news because it ruins the presuppositions you had, but ultimately it's going to be good news because it's going to put you in a better place than where you were before anyway. Okay. Number one, I got two messages for you this morning. Number one, if there's some of you in this this morning that you think it doesn't matter if God's comparing you or not, whatever the grading curve is, you're out of it. That there is no possible way that he could accept you. That there is no possible way he would have anything to do with you. And if you are one of those people this morning, the good news for you is you're absolutely wrong in that. That God loves you even if you're unlovable, Okay. The bad news, which can be good news, the bad news is some of you think you got it all figured out. And to put it bluntly, you're screwed, okay? That is the most dangerous spiritual position there is. The most dangerous spiritual position there is is to think that you have it together, okay? Now, just so you don't think I'm just making this up, let's look at the scriptures, 
We're going we're to take a look uh, from Ma- the, the book of Matthew, the gospel. We're going exa- to look at an example of when Jesus reached out to someone, okay? And uh, we're, we're going to use this story to, to help us in that. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Blanket for a minute, Eric. You're going to get interactive work this morning, Eric. So hang with me, all right? Okay, I want, to, I, want to, I want to help you this morning, okay? I'm going to pause in this story. Okay. In the, in the scriptures, as I said, I know you're all good Christians, so you think everything's symbolic. It doesn't really apply to you and everything because that's what we're trained is that way we can live with ourselves. But, so I want to, let me help you with that. Jesus invited a tax collector. You know, there's no secret... They hated tax collectors then even more than you do now, okay? They, they were even bigger crooks then than they are now. The, the reason, there, it wasn't as civil as it is now. If you were a tax collector, you, you were responsible for getting people's wages from them, and the way you got paid was the more you beat out of them, the more you got your profit margin. And so, as you can imagine, people were not fond of the tax collector, all right? Uh, now... To put this into context, this is in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's sort of going through how Jesus began his ministry, how he started branching out, if you will, how he was starting his church, okay? And so he's, he's getting ready to start his church, and he goes out, and he's going to start by inviting Matthew, the tax collector, okay? We miss how radical this is because it's in the Bible. It's just, you know, symbolic story. We, we miss, I want you to put in your mind whatever that group of people that when you consider it, the automatic trigger within you is, ugh, that's who Jesus was inviting. Okay? Into his church. I mean, and, and he doesn't even, have, this is early on. Okay? Follow me. Good job, Bert. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Okay? This is, I guess there's some reputable sinners, too. But... <laughs> And I see that many of you are in that category. So. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, what does your teacher eat with such scum? Okay, blanket, Eric. Okay, I, I want you to get this. All right. Jesus makes a connection with Matthew. He says, hey, I want you to come follow me. Matthew accepts. I mean, how incredible is that? That this tax collector who's spent his whole life being selfish and everything, that he would just change and follow him. And then not only will he change and follow him, he's so excited about his exposure to Jesus that he invites a bunch of his friends over and says, you got to meet this guy. Come have dinner with me tonight. And while they're at dinner, while this group is being exposed to Jesus, there's some neat stuff going on, 
Here comes the second grade bully with the mustache and the cigarette saying, what are you wasting your time with this scum for? If you're going to build a church, don't you know you do it around people like me? If you're going to build a church, don't you know that you don't want this kind of people being your advertisement? Don't you know that there are certain kind of people that this community will accept and there are certain kinds that just don't belong? Let's see what Jesus said. Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I have come not to those who think they are righteous, but to those who know that they're sinners. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Wow. I mean, we, I could spend six months on this passage. Because this, this is right at the heart of what we're trying to address as a church. It's right at the heart of why so many of the people out there think what we do is irrelevant. Because the, the attitude of the Christian community has been for so long, why would we waste time on those scum? Why would we waste time on those scum? That's been the message of the church. I I mean, it's reflected in the media. We see it. Christians have become this stereotype of a bigoted, self-righteous jerk that think that they are so much better than everyone else. And guess what? It's not a 20th century deal. It's been going on forever. The Pharisees had the corner on that market a long time ago. Why is it that with religious things, we like to think that we're so great? And really, usually, it's just hiding a fear that we know that we're the bottom of the bed. Okay, I said I had two messages for you this morning. First, I want to talk about those ones who are completely on the outside. This is the good news of the gospel, okay? And for some of you, you've been there your whole life. You've done things, you've been put places, maybe you've had people tell you, you can't be a Christian, or why, you, I, don't, I don't know what the story is. Maybe you've fallen away, you've made some mistakes, and in your own mind, you can't come to an understanding of how, if there is a God, how he could possibly love you knowing everything he knows about you, okay? I want to start with these. These were the Matthews. Okay, I want you to notice two things. Who did Jesus go to in the town? How did he start his ministry? By inviting a bunch of Pharisees? No. Jesus went after the Matthews. And if you read through that, this is why the Gospels are so appealing to us. Because as we see over and over again that Jesus always saw the ones everyone else looked past. The woman at the well. The lady caught in adultery, the lepers, the blind, the crippled. Over and over and over, Jesus saw the people that everyone else ignored. And he not only saw them, that's who he went to. That was his priority. 
And the church has lost this message by our actions. We know it, we read it, we put it on our slogans when we do everything else about it, but we don't live it. That, that was the heart of Jesus, was people that are broken, that people that are hurt. If we were going to say this was his target ministry, that's his target ministry. And if you fall in that group, I just you need to hear that. If Jesus were here today, he'd be sitting next to you. The more disreputable you are in your sinning, the more likely he'd be having a conversation with you. Jesus accepts them. And for the rest of us, we need to see what happened. You know, so, much, so many of us grew up in church hearing all that, growing up in the traditions and everything, and we lose the edge of that. You know, oh, God loves me. Oh, wow, oh, good. That's a pretty cool song. We sang it once. But we lose the, the transformational power of that. When people like Matthew get transformed, it affects their whole lives. Number one, he dropped everything and started following Jesus. Number two, he started inviting his friends. I do a lot of church growth reading and everything. You know what most churches don't get? You know, we're so worried about holding on to our traditions and people that, it's only when you start inviting people outside the church that energy comes because they're not, they're not sophisticated enough to know that you're not supposed to really believe this stuff. They take it at its word. If Jesus says, I can make you a new person, they go, wow, Jesus can make me a new person. They're not the sophisticated Christian types that the rest of us are that say, oh, that's just symbolic. <laughs> they actually believe it. They actually speak in to live it. They actually have a true experience of who Jesus is. If you're one of those people, man, if you feel like God cannot possibly love you, you could not be more mistaken. God loves you. He knows the things you are done. He knows you're broken, but he loves you. And if you were, if he was here this morning, he would say, hey, would you come with me? Would you come follow me? Would you be my friend? You would be the first on his list. Okay, now the bad news, which can be good news, if you're willing to get past the bad news. Okay. For those of us that fall into the Pharisee, that fall into the, oh, we know this. Oh, we got this. Oh, I, I've heard a sermon on that before. Oh, I, oh, oh, I did that study. I've done that study three times. And I have a t-shirt. And a plaque. For the rest of us. Uh, let's dissect Jesus' words for a minute. What he did is he equated his ministry with a hospital. He said, healthy people don't need help. Sick people do. So you're asking me why I'm wasting my time with these losers? The reason is, they're the ones that need my help. But here's the, the unsaid part. It's understood, but the, I, I need to draw this out for you. Even if you think you got it together, you're still broken. Here's the message, okay? Every one of us needs a doctor. It's just that some of you think you don't. Every one of us is a loser. Some of you just think you're better than that. 
You've just been in a culture, you've been in a system, you've been in a place where they've allowed you to compare yourself and sort of earn your way up the curve. God doesn't work that way. In fact, the scriptures are clear. Every one of us has fallen short of his glory. If you want the standard, it's found in Matthew 5, verse 48. It's found everywhere else, but here's a simple statement for it. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Okay? Not one of us hit it. Not one of us come close. So here's the understanding. You might think you got it all together. And remember what Jesus said, I didn't come for those who think that they're righteous. I came for those who know that they're what? Sinners. So you might think you got it all understood. You might think that you're better than everyone else. You might think that God couldn't possibly bring someone into heaven other than you. But what he's really looking for is those who know that they're broken. Those who know for sure. Wow, that sort of puts a weird spin on it, doesn't it? That's what I said. It might ruin some of your days. It's like you, your whole theological foundation just got... But it can be good news. Because if you can move from thinking to knowing, you'll be in the right place too. You see, this is, this is what Jesus wants us to get. Church is a hospital. It's for the sick. And for so many, time, for so many years, the church has been... Have you ever gone to a hospital? You go in bleeding and they say, oh, I'm sorry, you're too sick to be at this place. Uh, we're full with people with runny noses. You're going to have to take your real energy somewhere. No, that's not the way. But why is that the way the church works? We got people with stuff going wrong in their lives. Oh, they're, going, they're, they're in a divorce. They're going through, their kids are into drugs, whatever. And we say, Instead of saying, come on, man, this is the place, we say, oh, well, once you get that problem taken care of, then come back. Because we don't do that here. Because we're too busy with our mask and our pretending and our thinking for people who are in your situations. He says, we're a hospital. We've got to, we've got to start acting like a hospital. Let me tell you what I mean with that. Number one, a hospital is chaotic, okay? Those of you that are into the traditional stand-up, sit-down, fight, 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 robe, candle, you're not going to be happy here unless you can make a transition, okay? Because ministry with people is messy. If we're going to operate as a hospital, it's going to be messy. That means sometimes it's going to look like we have no idea what we're doing, which is actually true. We have no idea what we're doing. We're making it up as we're going, Sometimes there are going to be relationships and people that do weird things and there's going to be weird things said and feelings hurt and, and, and it's because we're in a hospital, man. We're dealing with sick people. And this is the even... This hospital is being led by the patients. <laughs> the patients are taking over the clinic, man. We, we're in charge... We who are broken, we who have our own problems, we're the ones that are trying to share this great news with other people. So don't be surprised that there's weird stuff going on. Don't be surprised that there's chaos. Don't be surprised that there's conflict. Don't be surprised that there's messy. Churches that don't have that, they're just dead. 
It's like a marriage. If you don't, if you don't have some tension and fighting in your marriage, there's something wrong with you. I'm not saying you got to hit each other and all that kind of stuff, but if there's, not, if there's not a give and take there, you've just been so boring with each other that no one cares. And that's the way a lot of churches become. We just become so irrelevant, no one cares. But if we're going to be a place that actually is sharing Christ, it's going to get messy. There's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be times where you go, oh my God. I didn't expect to see that in church. It's going to get messy. And you know what? That's a glorious and grand thing. Because I would rather be a part of a messy hospital than one of those dank museums that litter our streets in every community around. I don't want to lead a museum, man. I could care less about history. I always did bad in history in school. I want to work in a hospital. You know, the amazing thing is, as bad as we are at it, and as unprepared as we are for it, ultimately, it's not up to us. Just this week, I've heard three amazing stories of how God has transformed some lives. I'm not going to share those with you because they're private. There's a hundred more stories like that. And it's just led me to a firmer conviction in this, in this thought. As a church, it's not my job to control who comes in and out of this place. It's not our job to say who belongs and who doesn't. It's our job to have an open door and to create a culture in which people can come and be exposed to the love of Christ. Because the way I've experienced life, the way I see it in the Bible, the way I read it in the Gospels, the way I've seen it in other people's lives is if we can just get them to where they can come face to face with Christ, he does the rest. But for so long, the church has been the major blocking point for people to come face to face with Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm sure a lot of you can say, I've been in church my whole life and I can count on the on one hand, the number of times I actually felt I was in the presence of Jesus. We want to bring people right smack in the face with Jesus. We want to get out of the way so we don't get in the way. And then, here's the circle. Here's the glorious circle that God invites us to be a part of. We come in as patients. We're broken. God accepts us and invites us into ministry. He offers to start to heal us. That's what we call in church, the religious term for that is grace. Undeserved, unmerited, but freely given. He offers us our grace. And then when we get, here's the circle. When we go from receiving to giving, we have now moved out of immature to maturity in Christianity. When the patient's, Start running the clinic. Not out of knowledge, not out of, well, I used to be one of you. Now look at me. That's no. Man, I know exactly where you are because I'm there too. And I found that through the grace of Jesus, 
I can look myself in the mirror now when I never used to be able to do that. Yeah, my, my marriage was headed down the dumper and, and because we were able to pray together, God came in and did something we couldn't explain. That's, that's where this becomes a life-transforming community and not just a church. Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for, for the grace that you've extended to each one of us. We don't like thinking in these terms, but we don't deserve your attention at all. We don't deserve anything. And all the things we think we are good in, God, we thank that, but we, the truth is we need to realize and know that we're broken and sinners. It is only by your grace. It is only by your love. It is only by your gift. That we can that we can claim anything. God, as a for the people in this room, I, I pray that you'll help us to discover that, that we might live into that. And then as a church, I pray that you will help that be the culture of this place. That we can move from, from judging and categorizing to inviting and accepting. That the diversity of this world, that the brokenness of this world, that it might be dumped right here on this place and that, and that we can join together in just watching your amazing transformational power change things. That we won't be the ones that get in the way of, of your message. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.